We're back in the book of Galatians today, continuing our series that I've entitled Joy Killers. It's been four weeks since we've been there. We took a four-week break. But do you remember what was happening in the Galatian churches when Paul wrote the letter of Galatians? There was a group of false teachers called Judaizers. And they had invaded the churches in the Galatian region. These false teachers were Jewish people who were telling the, the predominantly Gentile Galatian churches that they had to come back under the Mosaic law in order to be made right with God. And the main thing that they were telling the Galatians is that they had to become butchers, that they had to cut themselves, that the men and the boys in the churches had to be circumcised in order to be made right with God, in order to be justified, in order to be blameless in God's eyes. The Judaizers preached a gospel of works, whereby human beings could earn their way to God by what they did and the way that they lived. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to tell them, That the only way that anyone is made right with a holy God is through Jesus' perfect life. We are saved by works, but not our works. Jesus' works. So we are saved by works, but not our works. Jesus works for us. Remember, God is holy. He demands perfection of every human being. God demands perfection from you, and he demands perfection perfection from me but none of us are perfect because we are sinners and rebels and that's why jesus came to live the life that we could never live he came to set us free now what paul is saying in this section today is that when human beings try to earn their way to god through their behavior then what it actually is is theological slavery Anytime we try to gain God's favor, earn his favor, anytime we try to maintain God's favor, keep his favor, keep ourselves in his good graces, if you will, by the way that we live, by what we do, then it is a form of slavery. And that's why Paul stresses in this section the freedom that we all, as believers in Jesus Christ, we already have. And because we're sinners... We are prone to fall back under some form of slavery. And we'll talk about more specifically at the end of the sermon some of the ways that we do fall back under slavery. But because we are prone to fall back under slavery, our big idea today is this. Fight for your freedom. That's what Paul is saying in verses 1 through 15. It's what he's been saying throughout the whole book of Galatians. Now, he is not saying that we have to fight in order to be free As Christians, we are already free. Jesus has set us free. But we must resist the urge to go back under a law of works. We must fight and resist our tendency to try and earn God's favor. We have to fight. We have to stand firm in the freedom that we already have in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke 
of slavery. Now, notice the sequence that's happening here. Paul gives us the indicative, the truth, the reality of what Jesus has secured for us, what he has done for us. And then he gives us the imperative, what we must do in light of what has already been done. The indicative, the truth, is that Christ has set us free as believers. But then comes the imperative. Here's the commandment, what you must do. Stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is how the gospel always works. We hear the indicative what Jesus has done for us, and then and only then do we do something in light of that. Jesus has already set us free as believers through his life, death, and resurrection. And now we are called to do something in light of that truth. And what we're called to do, as Paul will tell us in verse, as he tells us in verse 1, is that we must stand firm, we must resist going back under a yoke of slavery. Paul is just telling the Galatians here, you have to fight for your freedom. Jesus has set us free from the slavery of trying to obey God's law in order to earn God's favor. Jesus has set us free from that. And Paul uses an aorist tense in the Greek here, which points to a point in time, a specific point in time, a single point in time in the past, and it's a completed action. So we truly have been set free. We are free because of Jesus. And therefore, to be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is to be free. True freedom comes when you realize that it is God's grace alone that saves you. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and not you or your works or your obedience. We are free from the curse that the law brings because Jesus took the curse of the law upon himself. We saw that in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, that Jesus took our place, and because we're all sinners and rebels, we deserve to die. The law brings a curse because we've all broken the law. Jesus steps in and says, I'll take the curse of the law upon myself for you. And because of that, we are free from the curse of the law. So what does this freedom look like? What does Christian liberty, Christian freedom, gospel freedom look like? Well, John Calvin helps us in his very big work, Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says Christian freedom, gospel freedom, looks and entails these three things, and I'll summarize them for you. You can thank me for that later, but it's good reading if you want to. Chapter 19 of uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. Calvin says, first, Christian freedom is this. Our consciences are clean before God because we have been cleansed and forgiven. So to be free is to have our consciences clean and, and we're forgiven. So Christian freedom means that we have to fight to believe 1 John 1, 9. That we have to fight to believe that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to fight to remember that we are blameless in God's eyes. To be free is to be blameless in God's eyes, but we have to fight for that truth. Because if you're like me, and I know you are, sometimes you wake up in the morning and what's waiting on you? Guilt, thinking about what you said to your spouse the night before, 
or your kids or a coworker, and you wake up and there it is. In the first service, I was thinking, thinking, and then I started, I was singing, and then started thinking about something I said last week, and I was like, oh, the guilt was there, and I was like, oh, I'm trying to sing. Well, fortunately, we had some great songs this morning that were reminding me, we were rehearsing the gospel, that I'm forgiven, and I'm clean. Christian freedom comes when you realize that you truly are blameless in God's eyes because of Jesus. But you have to fight for that sometimes, which is why we have fighter verses in our bulletin every week on your sermon notes page. They're there for you to memorize, to meditate on, so that you can fight for the freedom that is already yours. So Christian liberty means that we, our consciences have been cleansed and washed, and we are absolutely forgiven and absolutely blameless in God's eyes. John Calvin also says that Christian freedom, gospel liberty, means this. We are not bound to obey the law of God as a means of justification. We don't come to God's law to try to obey it so that he'll say, fine, I'll accept you because you did okay. That's not what he means. Jesus obeyed the law for us so we don't have to obey it to get right with God. But we are bound to obey and keep the law, not to gain God's favor, not to maintain God's favor, but we obey the law now as sons and daughters who want to please their heavenly Father. After all, the law is God's moral law. It's what he wants of every single human being. So as sons and daughters, we come back to the law and we say, I want to obey the law because I know when I do, then this pleases you. Now, let me quote John Calvin on here because he talks about the distinction between law and gospel in chapter 19 of Institutes of the Christian Religion. Calvin says this, Therefore, laying aside all mention of the law and all ideas of works, we must, in the matter of justification, have recourse to the mercy of God only. Turning away our regard from ourselves, we must look only to Christ. So he's saying if you want to be justified in God's eyes and made right with him, you don't dare look at yourself because you'll never measure up. So you put the law aside in that regard and you look to Jesus alone and say, he obeyed the law for me. Then he says, for the question is not how we may be righteous, but how, though unworthy and unrighteous, we may be regarded As righteous, if consciences would obtain any assurance of this, they must give no place to the law. In other words, what he's saying is if you want to have a clean conscience before God, you don't come to the law to get that. Because when you read God's law, you're like, ah, yeah, I've lusted, so therefore I've committed adultery. Yeah, I've hated, therefore I've committed murder. And you go down the list and you say, oh, I don't measure up. So he's saying in that sense, you have to put aside God's law and look to Jesus alone. But then he says, Still, it cannot be rightly inferred from this that believers have no need of the law. It it ceases not to teach, exhort, and urge them to good, although it is not recognized by their consciences before the judgment seat of God. The two things, law and gospel, are very different and should be well and carefully distinguished. The whole lives of Christians ought to be a kind of aspiration after piety, seeing they are called unto holiness. The office of the law is to excite them to the study of purity and holiness by reminding them of their duty. 
So as believers, we read Psalm 119 like David and we say, yes, I love your law, O God. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your law? I love your law because your law shows me what pleases you. So freedom from the law is not freedom to never use the law anymore. We need the law. Why? Because it teaches us how to live and how to please the Lord. That's what Calvin is saying. Now, the third aspect of gospel liberty that he's talking about, freedom, is that we are free to enjoy what Calvin calls indifferent things. What Calvin means is that we are free to enjoy and abstain from things based on our convictions and our consciences, these gray areas of life. For instance, what would John Calvin say to a Duck Dynasty fan? Not now that they've rehired Phil Robertson and they're going to carry on, but let's go back in time to last week after A&E fired Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. What would have John Calvin had said to a Duck Dynasty fan then? He would have said this, if you want to boycott A&E because they fired Phil Robertson, go ahead and boycott. But don't require that other believers have to boycott A&E as well. That's what Calvin means by these indifferent things, that we are free to enjoy certain things or abstain certain, from certain things based on our consciences and based on our convictions. We're talking about the gray areas of life. Now, you fill in the blank on the many ways and the many things that we might either enjoy or abstain from and think about how sometimes we cause other people to submit to our convictions and our consciences. Maybe you allow yourself to see rated R movies, but you can't look down on the guy who doesn't. And the guy who doesn't go to rated R movies can't look down on the guy who does. Okay, That's what John Calvin is saying. Is gospel freedom comes and allows us to enjoy or abstain from certain things based on our convictions and our consciences. So, in summary, the freedom that Paul wants the Galatians to stand firm in is that they are forgiven and blameless in God's eyes. Stand firm in that truth. And that they can now go to the law, not to get right with God, but to see his moral law as a way that when lived out as sons and daughters pleases him. And then thirdly, there are freedom of, freedoms of convictions that should not be imposed on other believers. Now, carrying on, look at verses 2 through 4. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Paul is telling the Galatians that if they accept circumcision as a prerequisite to being justified, to being made right with God, then he says the gospel, the good news, will be of no value to you. And Jesus' death will benefit them in no way. Why? Because Jesus took the curse of the law upon himself for us. Remember, God's law demands perfection from each one of us. And none of us have ever been perfect. None of us have driven through a roundabout perfectly have we we've all at least lost it once there right so just just take roundabouts if you say i'm not a sinner have you ever driven through a roundabout every single time you've done it and you've got a perfect record i doubt you have follow someone home from church and you'll probably yell at one of your brothers and sisters in christ we're still learning how to do roundabouts here in santa maria 
None of us have ever been perfect. So Jesus, through what scholars call his active obedience, he obeyed all of the law for us. We needed him to obey all of God's law for us. And then in what scholars call his passive obedience, he took our blame and became accursed on the cross for us. We need both aspects of Jesus' obedience. His active obedience, obeying all of the law, and his passive obedience of laying down his life on the cross and becoming a curse for us. We need both of those. So Paul is telling the Galatians, if you want to try and go back under the law again, He's reminding them, then you have to be perfect because the law demands that you be perfect. So if you want to come back under the law, guess what, Galatians? You have to be perfect. And if the Galatians want to embrace circumcision, then they must embrace all of the law and they must be perfect in keeping it. And we know that no one can do that. It's impossible. And that's why Jesus came, to obey the law for us. So if the Galatians want to go back under the law, they then have to come back under the curse of the law. And that means that Jesus will be of no value to them as the curse bearer. They will bear their own curse now for breaking God's law. Do you you see what Paul's saying here? If you want to go back under the law, if you want to accept circumcision, you can't just take circumcision out of the law. He says you've got to take all of the law. And if you take all of the law upon yourself, then you take the curse of the law upon yourself Because God demands perfection. And so he says, Jesus will be of no benefit to you. So what happens if the Galatians try and embrace circumcision? Paul basically says that they'll end up at a spiritual butcher shop. That they'll end up on the chopping block. Look at verse 4 again. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If the Galatians want to start cutting off a piece of their flesh through circumcision, then Paul says basically they will turn themselves into butchers who will hack away until they are severed from Christ. If they want to start cutting off a piece of flesh in circumcision, then they will sever themselves from Jesus and fall away from grace. Now what in the world does that phrase mean when Paul says they will fall away from grace? To fall away from grace does not mean that a believer in Jesus Christ can lose their salvation. Here at Grace, we believe that people are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They become Christians and they are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit until the day they die. We believe in what scholars call the perseverance of the saints. That all of God's true elect children will persevere to the end. So to fall away from grace here, Paul does not mean that you're a Christian, you trust in Jesus, and then you kind of drift away and you live for yourself, and then you come back to Jesus, and now suddenly you're a Christian again, and then you drift away, and then you're not a Christian, and then you come back and you become a Christian. Paul's not talking about that, because I don't think that can happen, and Paul would say that can't happen. Paul says, if you are a Christian trusting in Jesus, then you are secure forever because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul is not talking about that here in Galatians. He would say that no one can lose their salvation, but that's not what he's talking about. To fall away from grace applies to a person who is a professing Christian. They claim to know Jesus, but they have not truly been born again. They have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So for that person to fall away from grace means that they may have been baptized, they may have joined the church, they may have professed to be a Christian, but they aren't truly born again. They're self-deceived. And they eventually drift from the church or 
they stay put right here week after week, but they're never truly born again. In other words, it's someone who thinks they're saved. They think they're a Christian, but they're not. They're deceived. To fall away from grace means a person is trusting in their own performance for Jesus instead of Jesus' performance for them. They're trying to get right with God based on their works, their obedience, their self-righteousness, and not Jesus' righteousness, which is given to them. Those who trust in their own righteousness, then, are not connected to Jesus Christ. How are we connected to Jesus? Paul tells us here it's through the Holy Spirit by faith, by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Look at verses 5 through 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What matters is faith in Jesus' work for us and not our own works. When we believe the gospel, we are united by faith to Jesus Christ. We are in union with him. What a sweet doctrine the union of Christ is. We are in union with him. And in that moment, as we are regenerated by the Spirit, we believe by faith in Jesus' work for us. In that moment, we are justified. We are declared righteous and blameless in God's eyes. In that moment... From then on, we are forever imputed and given Jesus' righteousness because we are united to Jesus in union with him. But as Christians, we still wait the final climax of that, and we will experience that at glorification. The righteousness of Christ is ours now because we are in union with him, but it will be fully realized on that final day when our bodies are glorified and we're with Jesus on the new earth. The Judaizers were telling the Galatians that they could see in real time their righteousness by undergoing circumcision. They said, just just get circumcised and then you know for sure that you are righteous in God's eyes. But Paul tells them that circumcision doesn't matter and uncircumcision doesn't matter. What matters is that by faith through the Spirit, we are united to Jesus and in union with him. And he says, when we're in union with Jesus, by faith, that expresses itself through love. And the Galatians were doing this, weren't they? They were manifesting love for others. Specifically, they were manifesting love for Paul. Because what did Paul say in chapter 4? In chapter 4, verse 15, because Paul had bad eyesight, he says, you would have even gouged out your eyes and given them to me. This is how much you love me. This is your faith working itself through love. You would have actually gouged out your own eyes and given them to me so that I could see better. The Galatians were so overwhelmed with the gospel, so overwhelmed that by faith they had been united to Christ, that they were in union with Christ, that they were willing to become butchers and start gouging out their own eyes to give them to Paul. And they were doing that. Because of the gospel. They were doing Galatians 5, 6 in Galatians 4, 15. Their faith in Jesus was working itself out through their love of the Apostle Paul. But then something happened. These self-proclaimed eye butchers, the Galatians, who were willing to cut out their eyes for Paul, got cut off by another group of cutters. And that's why Paul was telling them, 
fight for your freedom. Paul had to remind them that they had to fight for their freedom. Why? Because the Galatians, who once were willing to cut their eyes out for Paul, had got cut off by another group of cutters. Look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul says, you were running well. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing as believers. Who hindered you? Literally, it's who blocked the way. You were running well, and someone came in and and blocked the way. You were keeping in step with the gospel. You were even willing to gouge your eyes out to give them to me. Paul says, but as you were sharpening your knives and getting ready to gouge out your eyes for me, the Judaizers showed up with their own set of knives in their hands. And they said this to the Galatians. Listen, if you're going to start cutting up some flesh around here, don't cut out your eyes. Cut off your foreskins and start circumcising people. That's how you earn God's favor. And Paul knows that if one Galatian believer believes this works-based gospel, trying to do things to get God's favor, he knows that it's only a matter of time before it starts spreading. And that's why he says a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. If they open the door to circumcision, it will spread like leaven. Here's what I love about Paul. He's so confident that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts as they read his letter. He says that here, but I have have confidence in you. He's confident that those who are causing trouble will be dealt with. And those Galatians, Paul says, who might want to align with the Judaizers must wrestle with Paul's question here. He says, if I'm still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? Paul knew that if he wanted to gain favor with Jewish people, he had to preach the law, he had to preach circumcision. Here's how you're made right with God, Gentiles. You've got to be circumcised. That's the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. So be circumcised and you can be made right with God. Paul says, I know if I want to win Jews over, if I preach that message, they'll say amen and give me high fives. But if I come and I preach the cross and say, you can do nothing to be made right with God, then Paul says, I will be persecuted. Because what does the cross say? The cross is a giant billboard that we have all messed up, that we are all rebels. And Paul says, I preach the cross, and that's why I'm persecuted. If I preach circumcision, come in as a Gentile like they did in the Old Testament, be circumcised, and you're made right with the Lord. He says, if I preach that message to Jewish people, they'll love me. But by preaching the cross, I'm telling them that circumcision doesn't matter and uncircumcision doesn't matter. And that's why Paul wished the Judaizers would take their knives and cut off a little bit more skin than they had planned on. Look at verse 12 again. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I'm just going to let verse 12 speak for itself. If you don't know what the word emasculate means, get a dictionary and look it up. He's saying, I wish you would castrate yourselves. Now, Paul is not some sicko. He's not a bloodthirsty pastor. He's not a butcher. 
He wants this to happen to the Judaizers because he loves the church, because he loves the gospel, because he loves his friends in the Galatian churches, and he doesn't want them to fall for a false gospel of works. He wants them to keep their eyes on Jesus. So he wishes that the Judaizers would take out of their pocket, take out their pocket knives and chop off a little bit more. Why? Because by demanding circumcision, the Judaizers were unsettling the Galatians and killing their joy. They were stealing the freedom that the Galatians had through the gospel, and they were forcing them into slavery to the law. Now look at verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul reminds the Galatians once again, you were called to freedom. This is why Jesus called you, so that you could be free. Jesus has set you free, he's saying. But this doesn't mean that because you're free, now you can live for yourselves. He says, I want you to know that when you embrace the gospel, it should catapult you in love to go serve other people, to lay your life down for other people. The freedom that we have in Christ doesn't mean we can live self-absorbed, selfish lives, indulging in sin. The gospel frees us and catapults us out to love and serve others. Not to live for me, but to live for others. John Piper says, love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. You want to know what love is? It's your overflow of joy in God, of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, that that overflow, you gladly and joyfully meet the needs of others. You gladly and joyfully meet the needs of your spouse. You gladly and joyfully meet the needs of your kids and people here at church and your neighbors and your coworkers, because you have everything that you need in Christ, you're now free to say, I don't have to work for God's favor anymore. Because that's a lot of pressure. Try to be perfect. And I don't have to do that. I'm free. I don't have to live for myself anymore. I have everything that I need in Jesus. Now I'm free to gladly go and serve others. So Piper's statement is a commentary on this verse. And that's why Paul says what, that the whole law could be summed up with And he quotes Leviticus 19, 18 here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you think about and meditate on all that God is for you in Christ, that all you have, everything you want and need you have in Christ, then it frees you to lovingly serve others. But you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how you fight for your freedom. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You have to keep your eyes on a bloodied redeemer hanging on the cross for you. Otherwise, if you take your eyes off of the bloody sacrifice of Jesus, you know what will happen? You'll turn into a zombie. If you don't keep your eyes focused on a bloody Jesus hanging on the cross, brutally crucified, who probably looked worse than a Hollywood zombie, if you get your eyes off of him, then Paul says you will turn into a zombie. Don't believe me? Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Do you believe that a zombie apocalypse is possible? I do, and it happens in churches 
all the time. It happens in churches and homes when disciples take their eyes off of Jesus and they focus on themselves. When that happens, the zombie apocalypse is at hand. It's just a matter of time when we become self-absorbed that we start biting and devouring one another. And here's how that was happening in the churches in Galatia. Some Galatians were buying into circumcision and were going around trying to get others on board, trying to get others on the cutting board with them. And this was causing division. And because some of them viewed the law as a means to get right with God, they went around nitpicking other people. For instance, at the church barbecue, those who were believing the Judaizers would roll up, and as you're getting ready to take a bite of your big juicy cheeseburger, when they saw that it was a bacon cheeseburger, they would say to you, don't you know that Leviticus 11.7 says that you can't eat pork? Pork is off limits. You can't put that bacon on your cheeseburger. That goes against God's law. God's not very happy with your menu, bro. And then they would check the tag on your shirt and remind you that Leviticus 19.19 says that you can't wear clothing made of two different kinds of fabric. And if you had a boil on your skin or a big pimple on your nose, then they'd point you to the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. And they would say, you need to read that, and that's how you take care of that skin infection. This is what Paul means when he says they were biting and devouring one another. This is why he warned them that if they went this route, they'd end up eating each other like zombies, nitpicking each other and saying, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. You see, when we get our eyes off of Jesus, we inevitably look inward and we become self-righteous. And then we find fault with others. When we get our eyes off of Jesus, we inevitably get self-absorbed and begin thinking, we have it all together And every other Christian doesn't love Jesus as much as we do. Well, they don't read the Bible as much as I do. They don't love Jesus as much as I do. They don't pray as much as I do. They must not love Jesus. That's what happens when you get your eyes off Jesus. You start looking inside at yourself and say, I'm good, I'm right, everybody else, bad disciples. Look at me, the model. And that's why Paul would say to you, fight for your freedom. And you do that by keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is this, Grace. We all have tendencies to act like Judaizers. We can all believe at any point in our lives that what we do matters opposed to what Jesus has already done. We say, what I do is what matters. Not what Jesus has done for me, but what I do. See, our DNA is wired to believe the voice of do more and try harder. That's the kind of preaching. It's just rampant in pulpits today. Do more, try harder. It's in our DNA because of the covenant of works that God made with Adam. He said, do this and you shall live. And Adam didn't do it. So it's in our DNA to do, 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 try harder, try harder, try harder. But the gospel comes and cries out, done. It is finished. When we get our eyes off Jesus, We get morbidly introspective. We get self-absorbed and think we've got it together. Here's how we functionally exist as Judaizers or as Galatians with Judaizing tendencies. We nitpick people and force them to obey our man-made rules and laws. We nitpick people and force them to to obey man-made rules and laws. For instance... If we have a conviction in a gray area, we impose that on others and say, this is a black and white area. 
I preach from the English Standard Version, the ESV. I think it's a great version. But if I went around and told you that this was the only inspired version, and this was the best version, and unless you read from the ESV, then you weren't really reading God's inspired word, that would be nitpicking, and that would be biting, and that would be devouring. See, we do this all the time. We become legalistic and nitpick people. Or to use Paul's words, we bite and devour. Legalism. Legalism kills joy. That's why this series is called Joy Killers. Because legalists had invaded the Galatian churches. Listen, I've never met a legalist who was happy, ever. You met a legalist, they always have a frown on their face and their arms are mad. Why? Because they set a man-made rule and standard here. Nobody measures up to them in what it makes them mad. So they're cranky all the time and they're angry. Nobody's doing what I think everybody should be doing. But we all do this, don't we? We set standards for our spouses and kids, man-made rules. And when people don't measure up to it, what happens? It kills our joy. We do this with styles of worship, don't we? We can become zombies devouring one another over music preferences. Preferences. And so people who love contemporary music say, I can't sing traditional music. I don't like hymns. I want something new and fresh. And I don't want to sing that old stuff. And we bite and devour. And then the the traditional camp says, I don't like the drums and the guitars. And, And we bite and devour. We bite and devour one another. We become zombies over worship. And the world looks on and says, Why are you biting and devouring each other over something that you love to do? Worship. We do this with all kinds of things. Styles of clothing, hair, how pastors should look. In our eyes, pastors should look like this. And then we get angry when pastors don't look like what we think they should look like. You can email me this week if you like. Maybe it's drinking alcohol. Can you drink a glass of wine at dinner or not? Some people say yes, some people say no. The people that say yes, bite and devour others and say, ah, I'm free to do it. And the people that say no, say, no, you're not free. Listen, we all agree drunkenness is wrong. It's a sin. But if you can have a glass of wine at dinner and you're free, be free. But don't bite and devour those who say, I don't drink any. And if you don't drink any, don't bite and devour those who do. Drunkenness is wrong. You fill in the blank about whatever it is. I don't see rated R movies. I do. Bite, bite, bite. We do this with a million different things. The second way that we become like Judaizers is we believe that what we do gets us favor with God and keeps us in favor with God. We forget that Jesus purchased everything for us. So what do we start to believe How do we become slaves again? How do we take the yoke of slavery upon ourselves? I've listed, shared this list from Jerry Bridges before, but it's worth repeating. Here are areas that we need to fight for our freedom and resist the yoke of slavery that we often bring upon ourselves. How many of you live with a vague sense of God's disapproval? You live with this sense that God disapproves of you. You think he's frowning at you. There's a scowl on his face. He's, he's the grumpy dad. You know, remember Kevin Arnold's dad from the Wonder Years? Oh, he's grumpy. He hardly ever smiled on the show. And that's how many of us view God. He's got his arms crossed, and he's always throwing them up in the air and saying, like, ah, oh, I can't believe this child of mine. Can't they get it together? If you live with a vague sense of God's disapproval of you, Christian, you don't understand grace 
and you need to fight for freedom and you need to not take that yoke of slavery upon you because how does God see you if you're a Christian? He has given you Jesus' perfect life. He has placed his righteousness into your account and when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Tell me, does God ever look at Jesus and say, ah, don't really like you at this moment? Every time God speaks to his son, audibly, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And when God looks at your life, he sees his son, which means he's pleased with you. You need to fight for your freedom if you think that way. If you feel sheepish bringing your needs before him when you've just failed him. You just blew it. You've done that sin that you do 10,000 times, that you've repented of 10,000 times, and you come back to it again and you think, I can't go to him now. I've got a real need, God, right now, but gosh, I just did that major sin, but I need to ask you for something big time, but, but I just blew it. If you feel that way, you don't understand grace. You need to fight for freedom and not take that yoke of slavery upon yourself. If you feel you deserve an answer to prayer because of your hard work and sacrifice, you get up and pray for two hours every day, you sit down and read the the book of Jeremiah, which is a really long book by one of the prophets in the Old Testament, you read it in one sitting, and you think, I do so much for you, God. I pray every morning. I read your word every day. You owe me. If you think that way, that he owes you because of your hard work and sacrifice, you don't understand grace. You need to fight for freedom and not take that yoke of slavery upon you. If you assume that you've sinned so many times that you've used up all your credit of forgiveness, you know you've sinned your sin. I mean, it's the one that you're good at. You hate it, but you're good at it, and you keep coming back to it. And you do it over and over and over again, and you think at some point, surely I've exhausted his mercy. He can't forgive me again, really? Is the gospel good news that he'll really forgive me? I can't believe it. I must have used up all of my credit. If you think that way, you don't understand grace. You need to fight for freedom and not take that yoke of slavery upon yourself. If you feel more confident before God, if you've been faithful with your quiet times, prayer, and witnessing, you think, I get a speed pass to God. It's December 29th. I've read my Bible every day this year. I've prayed and had a quiet time every day this year. The rest of you losers haven't. I get the speed pass to God because of my behavior. I'm more confident because I'm always telling people about Jesus. I'm always witnessing, always praying. and I can come into his presence. Oh, yeah, because he loves me more than he loves you. If you think that way, you don't understand grace. You need to fight for freedom and not take that yoke of slavery upon you. If you can't honestly say that you see yourself as blameless in his eyes, do you feel dirty? You feel like you have the spiritual mange? You feel like when God looks at you, he sees a dirty, filthy, no good sinner who just keeps losing it with his kids, losing it with his wife, losing it with other people. If you think that way, and you think, I'm not really blameless, then you don't understand grace. You need to fight for freedom and not take that yoke of slavery upon you. If you fear that the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time. You ever do this? You oversleep. You don't have time to pray or read the word. And now you think your whole day is going to be ruined. You get in the car and you're like, oh, I didn't pray. I didn't read my Bible. I'm probably going to have a flat tire on the way to work. I'm probably going to get to work and they're going to fire me as I have to walk home because I have a flat tire. I'm going to walk into my driveway. My house is going to be burned down all because I didn't have my quiet time. Slavery. 
That's slavery. You have to fight for your freedom. If you assume that you can do something to make God love you more or less. Do you think that you can do something to make God love you more? Do you think he loves you more because you have been faithful with your quiet times? You don't understand grace. And if you think he loves you less because you haven't read your Bible in three days, you don't understand grace. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you more or to make him love you less. And if you don't believe that, then you do not understand grace. And you need to fight for your freedom. And you need to not take that yoke of slavery upon yourself. Let me close by reading Galatians 5.1. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your story. This is your identity. Embrace it, love it, and let it remind you of the freedom that Jesus has already purchased for you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the freedom of the gospel. Oh, what glorious news that what we do or don't do doesn't affect our standing with you. Yes, our sin will affect our lives. Yes, not reading our Bible will have an effect on our lives. But it doesn't change our relationship with you as adopted sons and daughters. Yes, when we don't pray, we're not living the life that you want for us. But it doesn't change our relationship with you. Oh God, I pray that the freedom of the gospel would get down into our hearts that we want to pray. We want to read your word. We want to share the gospel with people, not to get your favor, not to lose your favor, but because we have your favor because of what your son Jesus has done. May we keep our eyes on him, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.